Hello and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David the Skeptic, and I'm joined this week by a very familiar voice by now. Who's, uh, who's in that other chair? Oh, it's me, David Russell. Yeah, David Russell. It's uh, it's the tale of two Davids. That's right. Uh, yeah, so uh, we are uh, continuing our series uh, of interviews on surviving Corona. Believers and unbelievers examine their worldviews in this time during this time of crisis. Uh, David, have you had a chance to examine your worldview during this time of crisis? I sure have. How about you? I have. I have. And um, as it happens, uh, I think mine's okay. Uh, yeah, I think mine's intact. <laughs> mine's okay mostly because of a cheat. Um, oh. Yeah, uh, I don't have a worldview. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I, so. I find that hard to believe since in your chapter you said that we all believe in something. So Did I? Huh. Yes, you did. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I thought I was the only one that, that didn't have time to read the chapter. Today. I definitely did not read my chapter. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. Um, yeah, so with, with these interviews, I spend all of my time uh, studying uh, what the other person said. Uh, that said, yeah, I, I do. It is true that we all believe in some something. And I, I definitely believe in something. I believe in a lot of things. Uh, but I think there might be a little bit of equivocation with what we mean by believe in. Uh, so, you know, I, I believe in love, you know, I, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe this, this is, um, a bigger term than say, uh, just suggesting that you think a thing is true. Uh, when you but say David, you believe in something. Yeah, but don't you think that that's kind of your worldview? I mean, what you believe in kind of shapes and molds how you view the world. Uh, yeah, if you're possibly if you're using believe in in that bigger, broader way, which I do not. Yeah. And so when I say that we all believe in something, I don't mean it that way. I just okay. mean that there are uh, we all have certain truths that make up uh, our our landscape of reality. Uh, and your landscape of reality would be your worldview, right? No, no, it would not. So, for instance, <laughs> I'm oppressing you, man. This right? Thing, no, no, no. I, I understand. No, it's no. It's. I think it's a good point, though. Um, yeah. You know, just as an example, I believe that gravity is real. No part of my worldview, if I were to state one, would would have a paragraph about gravity, right? Uh, but but gravity is a real thing. I believe that disease and death is a real thing. I believe that Gilligan's Island was a great show. Um, you know, there, there are all kinds of things that I believe to be true that if you put them all together and shook them in a bag would not uh, make up a consistent, coherent uh, worldview that answers life's big questions. So you're saying you're just all over the place? Yeah, I, I believe right. I want to believe as many true things as possible, and as okay. few false things as possible. And if that's a worldview, then that's great. But I, I think you that know. if I were to, if if you were to sit me on a couch and ask me about all of the things that I believed, and we, you know, just listed them out, I think you would have a hard time coming up with some kind of coherent worldview out of that. So I do think that a worldview is something that is intentional. It's not accidental. It's not something that uh, emerges from things that you happen to believe. I think that it is a ready-made system of beliefs that you buy into. Uh, and I, I do think that a worldview has a purpose to help guide you 
uh, in life and answer some of life's big questions so that when you are confused, you can lean back on your worldview as kind of a guide. Uh, so I, I think there are some differences between a worldview that you believe in and just random things you happen to believe. Okay. All right. Yeah. I think um, I'd agree with that. Cool. All right. So that said, I don't have a worldview, <laughs> so it's, it's holding up. <laughs> All right. All right, um, man. I'll give that to you. But, uh, you know, you do have a worldview. And... Um, that's fine too. I used to think that I had a worldview. I'm not sure that I ever did, but uh, I can certainly appreciate the benefits of having a worldview. I think uh, during the when I was a Christian, especially early on, uh, there was something very comforting about uh, having a construct, a kind of uh, knowledge matrix or information matrix that uh, you could lean on during times of uncertainty. All right. Yeah. Okay. So um, okay. you uh, you jumped into uh, surviving Corona, I like did. right away. Yes, sir. Like I mean, you know, if we had been speaking in person, uh, you have interrupted me before I finished the sentence <laughs> to <laughs> to say yes. And so I know that's not how it actually went, but that's that's how it felt. So tell yeah. me, what, what uh, did you find uh, exciting and interesting and worthy about the project that you would lend your enormous gravitas uh, to the well, project? Well, you know, David, the first thing was, like, I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you said that I would have interrupted you during a sentence. Because before even finishing the email, I was like, yes, I'm on board. Because I thought it was just a cool opportunity to be able to do something for people that might be struggling with this. And I think that was my my main thing was to get it out there for people to read and to learn from both sides. And you know, I, I host proselytize or apostatize and we talk about these things. We talk about worldview. We talk about, you know, you know, the existence of God or and we have atheists on, we have skeptics on, we have uh, theological debates and the whole the whole point is during this pandemic I wanted to do something that was, you know, helpful not only to people to read, but also to help donate to the Red Cross and, and so forth. I mean, I just I love that type of stuff. And like, I, I mean, I, I even donate to Samaritan's Purse, you know, so I mean, it's just stuff I like to do. So I, uh, I have a question for you that I didn't plan to ask, and it'll probably come off kind of snarky, but you bring yeah. that out in me. Um, I was a nice guy before I met you. <laughs> anyway, you still are, man. You still are. <laughs> so, um, I'm curious, uh, and this this might require a little bit of self reflection. But uh, do you find that your desire to help uh, is out of your desire to do something useful, or your empathy toward other people uh, to to make their lives better? Um, and I, I've got to tell you, I don't know the answer when it comes to me. I don't know. They, they may be equal parts uh, because it, it's not all a matter of benevolence for me. I'm not that benevolent of a creature. Um, I don't even like people that much. Uh, honestly. So um, I'm, a, I'm a hermit. I like sitting in my office and uh, being by myself. Uh, I get annoyed when my wife interrupts me to bring in delicious food. So that that tells you oh, wow. something about how much of a hermit I am. Um, yeah. That said, uh, I do have something that resembles compassion. And uh, at the same time, when I was um, when I was 
kind of reading the news and having this whole coronavirus wash over me and when the reality of it finally set in, I did feel an overwhelming sense of helplessness uh, that it seems like there's something that I should be able to do, that I'm supposed to be doing. And so even now, I can't tell you if I was driven by my desire to do something or my compassion for people. Do you have more of a clarity on that? I don't think so. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said there's equal parts to some of this. And I think you sent us an email as we were formulating this book about some of the deficiencies that you noticed in your worldview. And and you kind of described some of this stuff in that email. And like I said, I think there's equal parts to it. Yeah, you might be a hermit, but I think there's this compassionate part about you. And you know, you like to do this. You like to help people. I think there's that's innate in all of us. And same with me. I think there's this. I have definitely have an empathy for people. I love people. I, I mean, unlike you, I wouldn't say that I I'm a hermit. I am pretty uh, extroverted in in that way. But I do love people, and I do think that this book in particular will help people think through some of the hard questions during this time of pandemic and and give the Red Cross some opportunities to get masks out to people and to help people out. And so from my point of view, I think there's equal parts. Of course, there's a I don't know if there's a selfish desire involved to, to be useful. I'm sure there is. And like you said, this takes reflection, so I got to kind of think about it. But yeah, I, I, think, I think the overwhelming aspect of this for me and I tried to bring this out in the book, is for people. I, I think the empathy for people outweighs pretty much everything else. I do want to make people's lives better. I, I, it's just part of always – I've always been like that. So, I mean, there was a time where I wasn't. I mean, I was a selfish teenager at one time too. But to think about it, yeah, I think it's more the empathy that drives me and the love I have for people. I think over the years I've developed it even better – uh, one of the biggest things, like, I, I don't know if you know, Ravi Zacharias just passed away yes. last week. Yes. Uh, he really brought something home to me that really, really got me thinking. And, and I studied this aspect of, of humanity being made in the Imago Dei and, and you know, the image of God, so forth. And and looking at people, he was always that that type of guy that was, you know, he was humble and he cared about people. And I, I really appreciated that about him. And he, he said something that was really important to me. He said, you know, oftentimes we look at people and we don't see people. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like looking at a telescope. You look at a telescope, you can see the contraption, right? You see the metal parts and so forth, the uh, eyepieces, the finder scope and so on. But if you look inside that telescope, you can see the heavens. And that really stuck with me. Instead of looking at people, look through them. You know, look look, look to see who they are and, and to understand them and to know them. And I think building relationships is probably the most – the best way to impact anybody. So – yeah, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's a good enough answer. But yeah, that's, well, that's it was it was certainly a good enough answer to obscure the question. Um, you you, you, you you you've learned well from Ravi. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think you obscured the question at all. I um, I I, uh, I was actually thinking about Ravi Zacharias as you were uh, talking. 
Uh, I've, I've got my own kind of relationship with um, the figure of, of Ravi Zacharias, and uh, it, it wasn't particularly good early on. For instance, when I was a Christian, I wouldn't have uh, I wouldn't have had anything good to say about Ravi Zacharias, and so I actually didn't begin to uh, you know respect him a little bit until after I was a Christian, uh, after I after I was no longer a Christian. Um, but that said, I, one of the things that um, I would be in wholehearted agreement with Ravion. I know that he kind of struggled in his life with uh, the academic side of things, and uh, he had thought that he might uh, pursue a doctorate degree, you know, one that he actually earned as opposed to one that was just given to him. Um, And he cared about that, uh, actually. And so uh, I don't I don't know exactly ultimately why he didn't. I know that some people advised him against it, but his initial instinct was that he didn't want to cloud his message with too much academia. He wanted to speak uh, a message that could ring uh, true and genuine and uh, accessible to every everybody. Um, and I didn't go the academic route in my life uh, either, and I had many of the same processes and struggles that that he had and so uh i would say that uh ravi and i kind of landed uh in the same place uh as far as that goes because it's far more important to me uh to be able to speak uh, a message that rings clear and true to everyone uh rather than to have the accolades of uh a few elite yeah and you know i as you say that i think that kind of brings out why you wrote the book as well. I think that still stuck with you no matter where you're at in life. You know, I, and even though you say you don't like people, you really do like people sometimes, David. Come on. Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I like my dog. Dogs are people too. Yeah. I like, I like sure. my dog. I treat her like a person. <laughs> uh, no, I do. I do. Um, I do have my moments. I do like people. I do care about people. Um, I'm a, I'm a little bit like Captain Picard. Um, in that way, you know, he's he's a very <laughs> compassionate man, but he just doesn't want to fool with you. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So uh, right. I'm, I'm a little bit like that. I, I love you, but get off my lawn. Yeah, <laughs> so, I hear you. Don't come on my bridge. Yeah. <laughs> get get out you. of my chair. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, <laughs> that said, uh, let's jump into the discussion. Uh, you uh, mentioned some relief aids. Um, I didn't have any particular quotes here, but I did want to talk about some of the relief efforts uh, that you mentioned in the book. I My eyebrow went up, actually, a little bit at the Southern Baptist... Uh, I can't remember what it's called. Southern Baptist Relief... Yeah, yeah, the Southern like Baptist guys, yeah. Um, yeah, and they're, I think they're they're connected with the North American Mission Board or something like that. Yeah. I, I have to... I'd have to go back to the, to the CDC thing I read. Now, you are not Southern Baptist... I am close to their to to their things. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm like the pick up the snakes, Southern Baptists that, or the the Hellfire and Brimstone Southern Baptists that most people would uh, would you know, or not most people, but some people would ascribe to. But I would I would say I have a lot a lot of my theology is kind of geared that way. Okay, so you're kind of Southern Baptist adjacent. All right. Well, yeah. I so I just that one stood out in the list because Southern Baptists can be uh, a little bit polarizing. Uh and so yeah. there there are a lot of uh, more liberal Christians who would not, for instance, 
include a Southern Baptist charity in their listings. And uh, it, it just brings me to that question of how people determine what charities they're going to give to. Uh, when I was a Christian, I was also probably much closer to Southern Baptist than you know other denominations that people yeah. have heard of. Um, and, you know, we would not have endorsed uh, very many charities at all because yeah. we would we would have uh, been concerned about associating with sinful ideas. So even <laughs> right. So even other Christians, we didn't think we're going to heaven. We would not have joined ourselves with their causes and endorsed their uh, causes because to to do that to join with them it's like um, how can two walk together unless they agree or don't be unequally yoked uh, with unbelievers that kind of thing and so uh, we would not have wanted to mix our message of salvation by mixing with um, uh, charities run by other uh, people who had a, a non a message where people would be condemned if they followed it. And so the, th this sounds this sounds terrible, but if you think of it this way, if you think uh let's say you whatever denomination you are uh can join with uh a Southern Baptist church and a Catholic church. All right? And so there are three of you representing the group and when you go out and um you know raise money for charity or you know your soup kitchen whatever that you come up with, each one of you hands out a pamphlet uh to the person. Uh, and so the person then is getting a doctrinal message from each one of you. Now, if you're in one of those churches that is not, um, I can't think of the word right now, but you're, you're not, um, you're not one who believes that every, all Christians are okay. <laughs> uh, you don't want, you don't want to mix your message with a Catholic message. Right. It's not all the same thing. You don't want the person getting the soup to receive um, a message of Catholicism. Uh, yeah, I mean, but, you know? yeah, but David, David, my whole idea was like, I want to give them the soup. If they want a pamphlet, they can find one. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you know, not, not, that's, really not, how it that. that's not how it works with the, the more not, conservative not churches, though. I mean, you there's, get there's there's some that that, that don't. But there you get, you get the sermon with the soup, man. <laughs> you get the sermon with the soup. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. So I, I don't know. I, I look, look, I, I don't know exactly what all of them do. But what I researched was that the the Southern Baptists, their their little group, their disaster relief group donated a, a lot to the CDC and the CDC just appreciated them. So my goal in that that little that little section was there are things we can do. You can give to some of these organizations and I and I think I spelled it out pretty clear when I said that you could pick one that best fit represents you. And the only reason I I put faith-based organizations out there was because I figured that one of you guys would put your organizations out there that you gave to. And so that's kind of like was my thought process behind it because I wasn't initially going to put even skeptic charities or secular humanist charities and stuff in there. I was going to do that, but for time's sake, because I was already like – by the time I finished with the first section, I was like, I'm already almost to my word max. And then you're like, oh, just go ahead. So I said, okay, let me just cut some of this out and leave it on the threshing floor, you know? Yeah. So uh, ecumenical, by the way, is the, the word yeah. I was trying to think of before. Churches that are not ecumenical. Um, yeah. So one, one more word about that. I know that um, 
one of the reasons I tend to be skeptical uh, about Christian organizations, and let me, uh, let me just back up a hair. Uh, after I was a Christian, but before I was a, what I would consider an activist atheist, uh, I was a part of a group called Faith in Action. They're um, located out of uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, they've, they've done some good work. I've did, done some writing and some speaking for them and that sort of thing. So Faith in Action, look it up, kids. Um, so it's it definitely a, face, a faith-based group, uh, but they didn't turn away uh, people who were not of faith. Now, I think they probably did not know that I was an atheist <laughs> at the time. They needed someone who had my particular abilities, and I was... Uh, very happy to um, to be a part of that, but what what I have I don't I probably wouldn't become a part of a group like that today. And it's not that there was anything wrong with that group uh, in particular, but it, it you know when I started kind of looking into various groups where I could uh, participate in, and I wanted uh, groups that had a big umbrella that. Uh, we're kind of inviting to everyone. Whenever there was a faith-based group involved, if you dig deep enough, there is some place uh, in there that uh, makes it very um, particular. It's it's something less than universal. And so maybe uh, a, a church group uh, checks all the right boxes, but they will not donate... Uh, money to a person who has had an abortion <laughs> you know they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't uh, associate with a, a group like that if they if their church maybe is a anti-abortion you know they wouldn't they would be very careful uh, about that or maybe they wouldn't uh, maybe they wouldn't provide uh, relief efforts for someone who's a member of the satanic you know, cult, <laughs> something like that. Um, there's a, there's just always something uh, where the group draws a line because at the end of the day, it really is faith uh, plus their charity. Uh, and so I, I don't know exactly where the Southern Baptist uh, lines are, but I know that maybe not everyone would want to provide their money uh, to that cause because there's going to be some place where the Southern Baptist says, yeah, but we're not going to give to gay people you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I was very careful. I chose the Red Cross simply because I didn't know of any of those boundaries. I'm not saying that there aren't any of those boundaries, but I know that they are very well known for helping people across all kinds of uh, cultural and religious lines. And uh, I know that there, there is kind of a religious component to uh, Red Cross uh, as as well. Deep, you dig deep enough down in it. But that said, I found them to be um, extremely um, open and free about how they uh, distributed their funds. And so uh, I encourage people, you know, to donate to whomever you feel comfortable donating to. But I also encourage you to find those places that, that have the fewest possible restrictions because we're all humans, uh, and so don't don't be one of those people that just donates to people who think like and look like you. Um, be be broader than that. Um, so, the, I, just just some thoughts I had when I was uh, when I was looking at your list there. Those, so, it's, so you it's agree a good with list. me then? <laughs> I do agree with you. It's it's a good right. list. There are, there are certainly others. I, I don't want people to think that you were saying 
And you, by the way, you spell this out in your chapter. I don't, but I don't want people to think that you are implying that somehow the only places to donate are are faith based yeah. uh, institutions, um, because those are are what you listed. But as you as you mentioned, there there are plenty of non faith based institutions that you can donate to as well. Um, and in the same way that I encourage Christians to look towards some of those, I also encourage non Christians to look towards some of the faith based institutions who are doing absolutely uh good work uh for you know as many people as possible so let, let's just take the ideology as much as we can out of charitable giving uh and give where your money is going to do the most good yeah yeah i agree and that, and that's the whole point of that that's that's why i wrote that part because I, I wanted to be able to express there are things we can do you know and and there's there's more i mean if you know somebody that's high risk and, and you're good friends or you have a relationship with them or even if not, they're just a neighbor. Offer to mow their lawn if, if, if they were scared to go outside. You know, there's so many things we can do as a people and as human beings that care for human beings. And, you know, just those are some of the things we could do. So this is one of the one of the reasons I uh, like your chapter a lot. And I encourage people to uh, read your chapter. The book is two dollars and ninety nine cents. If you do not have two dollars and ninety cents, send me a, an email. Skeptics and seekers at Gmail dot com. I will give you a free copy. You're just going to have to muster up the uh, the nerve and get over the shame of saying you can't afford two dollars and ninety nine cents. Okay, <laughs> but so I'm not. I'm not going to make it that easy for you. But all you have to do is just uh, send me an email. Uh, you don't even have to give me a reason. Okay, uh, you you can just say, "Hey, can I have a free copy?" I will just send it on. All right, uh, because I want everyone to have access to this. Uh, the reason there is a financial component to this is because we're raising as much money as we can to. Uh, donate through uh, coronavirus relief efforts. You can donate without getting a book, all right? And you can get a book without donating. Uh, shoot me an email. But I, I thought that your uh, chapter, more than uh, the others, focused on practical things that you can do. So you mm-hmm. uh, t- not only had a, a section about uh, you know the various charities that you can donate to, which I, I really appreciate it because we say you can donate to charity, donate to charity, but then we don't Talk about well, where, yeah. which charities? Oh, yeah. uh, how do I do Absolutely. that exactly? Right, um, yeah. and so you gave some some very practical uh, ways to do that, and you also talked about you know just other practical things uh, that you can do to help people, and uh, you know I thought that your book was full of uh, practicality. You uh, know, your chapter was full of practicality in a way uh, that a lot of them were not. I mean, mine certainly wasn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I tried. I try to help. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you aim to please, and uh, you pleased. Now, thank you, sir. Do you mind if we get into some um, uh, not so happy stuff? Go ahead. People Whatever are people like. are getting a little bit nauseous. I feel uh, because we're just okay. getting along so well. Yeah, yeah. Just so much agreement here. That's not. Yeah. This is skeptics and seekers. We <laughs> we can do better. <laughs> Where would you like to start, David? <laughs> I would like to start in your um, what I consider your main theme. Uh, and your main theme. Uh, correct me if I am. Uh, wrong about the characterization. I don't actually have the name uh, of it in front of me, but your your main theme was uh, lessons that we can learn from 
Christians past during pandemics past? Yeah, that was a big theme. Was a historical approach. I I really tried to uh, to to grasp the early uh, church more than you know the mid medieval church and and on up. So I tried to engage with the early church, and I, I was actually humbled to find some of the stuff uh, when I was researching that you know I didn't go over much in school. Uh, but I was I was humbled to see. You know what these people were writing at that time, and it was pretty cool. Yeah, so uh, let me let me just read some uh, some excerpts here. Uh, let me start yeah. with a fairly long paragraph, um, and most of this is stuff that you are quoting from other people. Uh, yes, yes, a lot so of research. This paragraph uh, is most of our brother uh, dash Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another, heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease." drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing uh, and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead, turning the common formula that is normally an empty courtesy into a reality. Your humble servant bids you goodbye. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner, and a number of prosel- uh, a number of presbyters, deacons, and laymen uh, winning high commendation, so that death uh, in this form, the vessel of great piety and strong faith, seems in every way the equal of martyrdom, with willing hands. They raised the bodies of the saints to their bosom. They closed their eyes and mouths and carried them on their shoulders and laid them out. They clung to them, embraced them, washed them, and wrapped them in grave clothes. Very soon, the same services were done for them, since those left behind were constantly following those gone before. I'll just, I'll just pause there. I'm, I'm actually going to pick up with the next paragraph, but that was, that was beautiful. Yeah. You didn't write that. Uh, just I did not. <laughs> but, and I'm glad, and I'm glad I didn't have to read it. Yeah, well, I got to tell you the the writing from, uh, times ago, uh, remind me of some of, um, the writings attributed to Paul long run on sentences, long, Run on sentences. <laughs> it's hard to know exactly where the break is and how to breathe. And it's anyway, um, just a literary note. <laughs> That's fine. Um, so yeah, but it, but that was beautiful though. It's a beautiful idea. I can see uh, why you would find inspiration in it. Tell me a little bit about your thought process in including this. Well, I wanted to. to get a picture of what the early church did and 
how they impacted the Western culture, our culture in a whole. And I think that really these these type of things really show how Christianity deals with crisis and that we have dealt with crisis. We've dealt with epidemics far worse than this. And I think that they have been a beacon of light, a city on the hill at, at times. You know, and I'm not saying that this is this is like there's some stories that I was horrified learning about the medieval uh, church, about how they dealt with some of these plagues. They kind of reverted back to their old ways and saying, you know, this fickle God is angry with us and is judging us. When the early church was like, no, this is a broken and fallen world, and they, they rushed right in, and they helped people out, and they did die. I mean, if you look at reports, not just from this quote, but if you look at reports on the Cyprian plague, they're saying there's people, and this could be exaggerated. I mean, the history is not settled on how many people actually died of this plague, but they were calculating the loss up to five thousand people per day. And I don't know, like I said, I don't know how true that is, but that's a that's a that's a crisis, you know. So I, you know, especially in in these small concentrated areas, and Christians were at the forefront and they did make an impact in that early church so so what do you think we can learn from that like you said where we agreed and the nice things we just said about uh you know the later the different parts of those chapters and how how we can do things is is that we should be making an impact now we shouldn't be microcosms of the culture but we should be change agents i at least that's always been my belief you know, show people that you care. Do something. Don't just sit at home, quarantined. Do something. And, you know, it, it, sometimes it takes risk, but that's life. Life is all about risks, and I'm sure you can agree with that. I, I can, and I think that's a, a nice lesson to learn. But I would, when I was reading this, uh, besides just the, the beauty of the image and, uh, you know, the at times poetic uh, language used, uh, is, it, it is very moving, but the practical side of me was saying those people were stupid. Uh, <laughs> I mean, loving, great, but they also were swimming in a uh, matrix of thought that said that martyrdom and suffering uh, for your beliefs is a good thing. I think that is, I, I believe, just the opposite. So I don't believe that you should be dying for your beliefs or suffering for your beliefs. I don't believe that that makes you more pious or that you should be seeking uh, greater uh, piety. So I, I believe in a very opposite way than what they believed. And so when you, when you, uh, you know, re recount stories of martyrdom and great self-sacrifice, I see, I see such religious brainwashing that uh, it just makes me angry. It doesn't inspire me to emulation. And yet you're giving to coronavirus relief efforts. Yes, but I'm not. <laughs> let me, let me, let me just give a brief list of what I am not doing. Um, it, there's a, let me, let me see. Here's, here's some of what I am not doing. Um, with willing hands, they raise the bodies of the saints to their bosoms. I'm not doing that. <laughs> they close their eyes and mouths. Not me. Carry them on their shoulders. Uh, no, no, sir. <laughs> so um, I definitely have some... I have some. They didn't limits. have gurneys back then, okay? They didn't have gurneys back then. Uh, you know what? The wheel, the wheel had been invented, okay? They, yes, but and, they, and that's where they put them. They put them in those 
carts like they did in the Black Plague, and they wheeled them out of the of the thing. But they had to lift them and get them there first. Well, but I think I mean this makes it sound like they made a real show of putting a lot of uh, contact in it, the, embracing them as if that meant anything. You can you can lift someone and put them on a gurney in a relatively safe way that wouldn't be described in the way this is described. Okay, so, but but but, but l- let's look at the time. Okay, let's go backwards. And, and not only that, but I want I want you to put yourself there. You're walking down the street, and you see these people lined up on the street. Do you help them, or do you just pass them by? You know, I mean, and, and that's that's kind of like where I'm coming from. Is that these this early church? They didn't just pass them by. They picked them up. They put them in hospitals. You know, or, or areas that they had designated at the time. I don't know what they were called. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're hospitals or Christian sanctuaries. I mean, even Julius. Uh, I think it was a the the uh, the um what, what was the, the emperor's name that came that that wrote the the letters Julian Julian it was Julian and he was he was commenting on how the Christians took care of not only their own but the pagans too and that's what they did they saw these people in the streets these bodies piling up they took them and they took care of them and I think that's the beautiful message and you could call it stupid if you want but and they did take risks but. They took care of the people, and it impacted that entire culture. Yeah, so we'll talk about those risks a little bit more in a minute. But I just i i I wanted to set the stage with that because I think, uh, you know, there's help, and then there's purposely trying to be a martyr. Um, Yeah, I don't think they were doing that though. Well, so so let me read the let me read the following paragraph. Um, The uh, the heathens behaved in. The very opposite way. Uh, at the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treating uh, unburied corpses as dirt, uh, hoping thereby to uh, avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. And uh, this is uh, uh, Letters of Dionysius uh, Easter yeah, Festival. Yeah, that's his Easter Festival, yeah. yeah. Um, so I wanted to include that paragraph because I I sense a strong religious bias here uh, in the telling of this quote-unquote historical account. So, uh, you know, it is hard to say how much is actually historical, what, what did happen, what didn't happen. Uh, when you read language like this, though, you you see oh the Christians, the good people, the heroes, and then the heathens. Uh, you know they behaved in this other way, and you get this sense: well, all the Christians were good people, and all of the non Christians were uh, awful people. Uh, and I don't think that's the way it actually works. But you see that in the Bible. Uh, throughout, even in uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, you know you you see the Jews. Uh, being portrayed one way, but the, the Canaanites or the Amalekites, evil, all of them, wipe them all out. They're, they're, they're awful, disgusting people. Um, this is, whenever I see language like this, I, I kind of roll my eyes and, and move on. Because um, I don't, I don't I, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to really think of that in realistic ways. Because yeah. in, our, in our culture, I see that language even today sometimes. Uh, when Christians are glorified and non-Christians are vilified, and we we live in this time, and we know that it's not that black and white. Yeah, but David, I, I see a perspective, 
issue here. I mean, you're looking at this from a certain perspective, from a certain worldview that you do have. <laughs> I'm just play, I'm play. But no, a certain perspective. And I don't see it that way at all. I see that this guy is, yeah, there might be some hyperbole in there. There might be some hyperbole in how many deaths there were. But the fact is, is that the Christians did stand in when other people ran. And that's all I, I don't think, I don't look at the heathen as in more of derogatory way as they fled. I think they were just trying to get away from a virus. And I see the Christians as the people that were helping, but I don't see it as like this brainwashing and so forth. I just see it as somebody giving accommodation or, or you know, you know, saying, hey, you did a good job here. Yeah, but I just find and it, I just find it un- unbelievable, though, <laughs> quite frankly. I, because I mean, it's, you can find it unbelievable all you want, but that's a historical letter. But, it comes from history. I mean, right, and but, the Cyprian plague existed. I, under, and, I believe all of that. What I find unbelievable is that only Christians behave one way, and then the non-Christians only behaved another way. We can see that life is much more... Uh, complicated than that. Uh, to this day, we have some Christians saying, "Hey, get get in there uh, and and hug each other and uh, care for the sick and the wounded re- without regard for your health." And we see others saying, "Uh, yeah, uh, stay inside, wash your hands, and go to church on TV." Um, yeah, well, yeah, that's, yeah. So we it's it's never a a matter of the Christians behave this way and the non Christians behave that way. That that but, but simply like is said- never true. But like what you said, though, there are faith-based places that do good works, and they deserve to be praised for it. And that's what you're seeing out of history. You're seeing that there was this group of Christians that impacted this particular culture at this particular time, and they got praised for it. <laughs> I mean, I, right? I, I don't, and I'm and I'm, I'm happy with Christians getting praised for things they do, but I I feel like there is a lopsided. There are a lot of other people who did good things who aren't getting praised here, uh, and so it what it does is it leaves people like you two thousand years later or fifteen hundred years later uh, to say, yeah, you see, the Christians were good people and the other people were bad people, and that's that's the meta narrative that I don't believe. Yeah, and I don't believe that either. I didn't. I didn't, I don't think that. I think. I think that these Christians impacted that culture for the better, and they grew. I mean, I mean, look up Rodney Stark's book and, and read it, and maybe you'll be convinced uh, by the other historical things that he brings out. But it, I just thought it was really cool that you know these guys did impact the culture, and I think right now. We should impact the culture. I don't see it as these Christians. I mean, it kind of feels like you're looking at it. You know, okay, there's the extreme fundamentalist view, and then there's the Christians that just like stand home and wash their hands, and they're not the fundamentalists. But they're, they're, I don't think any Christian that I know of is going to not wash their hands and not take good care of themselves. I mean, if you read later on, Martin Luther. Okay, you know, stop, he, stop he there. Stop, okay. stop it. Stop it. I've got all that right. paragraph right here. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. You can, we'll, we'll wind you up. I hope that makes sense. Well, yes. You know, before well, we stop. I'm not done winding you, know? you up. <laughs> okay. So, all right. Um, so, uh, another paragraph uh, that I am pulling from you came uh, later in your chapter. Um, and uh, it gets at what you were about to say, which is why it stopped you. Uh, fast forward to the Black Plague. Uh, we see French chronicles tell us uh, of nuns having no fear of death. Uh, attending to the sick, we see later uh, during a 
resurfacing of the Black Plague, Martin Luther refusing to leave uh, Wittenberg so he could continue ministering to the sick. He also produced a tract where he explains why Christian pastors stand their post until they die. This refusal eventually caused the death of his daughter. Luther was apt to also point out that we should be careful and not tempt God. I would echo that uh, uh, as I think uh, all people uh, should practice good hygiene. And you also talked about being a first responder there. I, I found this paragraph interesting because there seems to be a bit of a contradiction. And I don't know how to understand this paragraph, especially the last bit from Martin Luther. What does he mean by don't tempt God if not, uh, you know, don't don't risk having God kill you or letting you die? So, and yet, and yet, in the same way, in in the same paragraph, he's saying, uh, "Yeah, stand your post until you die." Yeah, I don't well, I mean, know what the that means. Isn't, the tract isn't any any small feat, so I had to kind of like break it down. Mm-hmm. So, if you read what Luther is saying, he's saying, "You know, stand your post, take care of the sick, but don't not wash your hands, don't don't not wear a face mask or whatever." He's just saying, you know. Practice good hygiene as you're doing these things. So once you're done touching somebody, don't rub your eyes, basically, is kind of what he's saying. Of course, they didn't have all the medical knowledge we have now. So I'm kind of, you know, making a little bit of hyperbole. No, here, I understand that, but it still doesn't make It doesn't make sense. If we. It does make sense. No, it doesn't. If, if it, I'm going, look, if I'm going out to help somebody and I'm doing CPR and I have to do hook them up to an AED or, or anything, I'm using the mask right. on their face. I mean, I'm still. If I'm at definitely, if I'm at work, I have to respond. Right. So I'm going to use the mask to prevent disease. I'm going to use wash my hands uh, and make sure I don't and wear gloves. You know, stuff like that. I'm going right. to do those things. And no, that's what but I agree, I agree with that, and I yeah. understand that. But you, as a first responder, are not trying to die. You're, you don't have. I a, don't think they are either. Well, but you don't. You don't have as a uh, mission stand your ground until you die. You're not, you're not, you're trying to live and uh, you're trying to help as many people live as possible. Martin Luther, uh, 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 Martin Luther celebrated martyrdom. And so there's a different mindset when you're taking that way to the extreme way, way. Well, not when you consider the first paragraph that I read, uh, these, these people, uh, in fact, uh, the writer, uh, Dionysus, uh, was saying, yeah, what they were doing was, uh, you know, basically indistinguishable from martyrdom. Yeah, he's saying that these people should be given the same respect as a martyr. Uh, but the fact is, is, I mean, they weren't trying to go in there and die. If I'm going into a first responder issue, I do have that chance of dying. I do have that chance of contra- contracting a disease or getting shot. So I still have to act, you know, and I still have to stand my ground. That's all it is. It's a, it, you know, doing their ministry was the most important thing to them, and staying alive during that. Martin Luther was no idiot. He understood Paul when Paul says, "Hey, it's better that I stay here for you guys." I mean, so I mean, that's there's there's this aspect to it that's just not extreme to the point of, "Hey, I'm just trying to die for this." It's Totally not that way. Okay, but I actually think that what Paul said is ridiculous. Uh, so I, of course I, you do. I, You're I, a skeptic. No, no, but I, it's not that I think that everything in the Bible is ridiculous. I I am no 
fan of Paul, though, and I think that particular quote that you made from Paul, uh, folks, that was from the Bible, uh, I think is ridiculous. I think uh, that if someone is actually looking at a choice between I can go to heaven, considering what Christians say heaven is, and I can stay here and finish my ministry, you'd be a fool not to go to heaven. Otherwise, what you're saying is that the joys of heaven are not quite worth uh the good that I can do here on earth. It's or, it's a mixed or, message. It doesn't make sense. I don't I, I think it does. I think it really does. He's he's basically saying, hey, look, I'm spreading the gospel here. In heaven I don't have to spread the gospel. Everything's pretty kosher. But here there's work that needs to be done. And I think that selfless love is exactly what Jesus came down to yeah, do. Yeah, he's kind of implying that if he goes to heaven now, then he would regret not doing more work. And that that's just that doesn't that doesn't work. It also is a kind work. of a it's also a messiah complex of, you know, if I don't do it, then it's just not going to be done. How do you uh, know? How do you know how do you know his complex? How do you know what he was thinking during that time? I well, mean, because it, we because we know what Christians say that heaven is. Uh, but, it, and so there there is no greater that's joy. That's highly debatable. But that's highly debatable. I mean, it, it, there's there's several aspects between self sacrifice and, and loving others more than yourself, which is what Jesus taught. You know, love your neighbor. You know, uh, take care of your enemies. You know, it, there's there is that aspect of we have a mission, and doing that mission is very important. Right. So it's very, it's very important, can, but it's, it's more here. it's more fulfilling than going to heaven. Then maybe I don't want to go to heaven. I well, mean, heaven is like your second that's, that's, best choice. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. We're not saying best. Heaven is perfection. But the fact is, we want to be like Jesus well, and take care and, and complete the mission. And, yeah. and Jesus went and to heaven at thirty-three. Maybe he could. Maybe he could have stuck around until he was say sixty, uh, had some kids, and suffered some real life. But here's the thing: <laughs> is is that we have a mission to accomplish, and we have all eternity in heaven. So we have a short time here, so we take advantage of it, and that's kind of like the mindset. I don't think it's, you know, oh, I'm going to make a choice to stay here because, you know, I have this uh, – heaven's the second choice. No, I think it's we have a mission to do here. Let's get it done. So stay. I fully expect Arthur Jeffries, uh, our resident uh, scholar and Catholic critter, to step in uh, with uh, with some – uh, some some heavyweight doctrinal material that puts us both to shame on this particular point. Author, <laughs> I'm counting on you. Um, uh, author is a clever man uh, with unlimited access to ancient knowledge. I don't I don't understand author at all, but he's he's coming. <laughs> he's coming for both of us. I fear. Um, so that's fine. Look, I um, I I just wanted to maybe push back a little bit and discuss, see, see what you would say um, about some of this, what I consider a kind of a mixed message of, you know, get out there and give, give the dying a hug versus uh, don't tempt God. <laughs> um, it, it seems like we're having that same debate today. Uh, among Christians and skeptics alike. Uh, you know, some are saying you've got supernatural God power, or they're saying, you know, you should go ahead and do what God wants you to do and don't worry about the consequences. And others are saying, no, you should actually stay at home, uh, greet one another with a six-foot pole, um, 
and um, you know try to do your best to stay alive uh, and uh, let let first responders uh, take the risks. So I don't I don't know what exactly we can learn from the ancients, uh, but it it was interesting having your perspective on uh what what appears to be a very similar kind of uh debate maybe that that happened back then maybe yeah i, I it this was not, this was not all settled and also we need to bear in mind that we're reading all of this from very pious religious people um and so uh yes there are historical sources that talk about this it would be interesting to see kind of what some of the uh non-religious disinterested uh historical sources uh said about uh these times as well. So if you have any uh links or things that you want to throw in that maybe maybe some of the stuff that you had researched but didn't include in your writing, uh shoot them to me and I'll uh, make sure that those links get uh posted. Yeah. Um now, uh before we go, you said that you had a question or two for me. Yeah, you know, I think we talked about some of it. But uh, let me let me see if I have the one that I really wanted to ask you. Yeah, I, I wanted to know what, what what are some of the ways you have recently discovered as an atheist dealing with this crisis that aren't working. That's that's one of the things. What have it, what have you found that's not working in your worldview? Okay. Uh, yeah, good question. I think uh, the thing that doesn't work uh, for for both sides. Uh, in fact, I'll give you two things. One of them is uh, just this uh, unfounded optimism for the future. Uh, the idea that things are going to get better. Things are just going to automatically... If we do nothing, things will get better. Uh, sometimes we voice it in this way. This too will pass. Uh, I say this a lot myself. I say it to myself. But it's the kind of thing that we say when we've kind of hit a wall and we have no idea how to move forward. And we just try to convince ourselves that, you know, it's it's going to be okay eventually. Uh, this is a faith statement. <laughs> hey, sirrah, sirrah. <laughs> Yeah, this is, well, well, yeah, not quite that. But yeah, this, <laughs> I mean, this is a faith statement of a, of a sort. Uh, and it's one that skeptics sometimes buy into. And so... Uh, there is nothing in evolution that says that things will be quote unquote better tomorrow than they are today. Uh, you know, we, we have, uh, I think that evolution is a mechanism where things tend to progress in a certain way. But I mean, what we consider better isn't necessarily uh, what evolution will select to survive. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I just I think that there is oftentimes a you know we take hands off and mind our own business and do nothing and we curl up in a ball and we just say well it'll fix itself eventually and that's just not true. Uh, therefore, for a lot of people and species for that matter, it doesn't fix itself. <laughs> species die out; <laughs> they die out all the time. Things didn't get better. <laughs> So, right. you know, let that be a lesson, humans. Uh, some of our smartest minds believe that humanity has about a thousand years left. Uh, yeah. They, they do not believe that things will get better. Um, and so there, there are some good reasons to believe that that's not true. And I, I'm a fan of Steven Pinker. I'll go ahead and say that. Uh, and if you haven't read his book, uh, Something, Something, Our Better Angels, uh, 
you should read that. It's very good. Now, I'm not saying that he is using this kind of unfounded optimism, but if you read his book a certain way, it may seem like he's saying that. Um, things will progress, but they won't necessarily get what you consider better. Uh, right. So, I mean, just as an example in social evolution, uh, let's say you're a person who thinks that homosexuality is a bad thing and that it's bad for society. Um, and there's another person who thinks that it's a good thing and just fine for society for people to be whoever they want to. Okay, well, those are two very different worldviews. Here's the thing. It's going to, social evolution is going to go one way or the other. So for one of those groups, things aren't going to get better. So for things to get better the way you define better, you have to be proactive. Things don't get better. We make things better. Uh, and so uh, I think one of the one of the worldviews that don't work uh, is to just sit around and assume that progress defined as you define it is going to happen. Uh, so that's that's one of the things. The uh, second thing that I would mention that doesn't work uh, is uh, to bury your head in the sand uh, and and try to stay uninvolved. Uh, burying your head in the sand doesn't work. Uh, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is ignorance. And uh, we should get out of the ignorance is bliss mindset. We need to uh, devote ourselves to learning as many true things as possible, uh, not to be as ignorant of hard, uh, as many hard things as possible. So we are, we are not going to be in a position to do any good, to make any progress, to make sure that tomorrow is better than today if we don't educate ourselves about what's wrong with today. And so we have to take. We have to stop saying life is hard. Let's go shopping. Uh, we've we've got to take the time to be proactive about hard, unpleasant things. Uh, so those are those are two things that I would say uh, I have tried and don't work. All right. So I was, you know, looking at you admit that secularism doesn't have a clear goal or end game, and I, I just wouldn't know. You know, what is the end game? Do do you are you still sure that there is no end game or you know what did you mean by that well yeah secularism doesn't have an end game any more than evolution has an end game uh so okay uh you know i i i think there are worldviews that might have an end game humanism might have an end game humanism is a worldview uh and so you can look at that and you know ask well what's your what's your end game there but i think that all worldviews uh, suffer a little bit or maybe a little bit behind religious worldviews uh, in that religious worldviews kind of start with an end game. You know, their religious people are very competent at stating their, their end game. Uh, you know, that we, we want to go to heaven and save as many souls as possible. We want to avoid hell. Uh, you know, there, there are some, some strong pithy statements of an end game that Christians can make. There's nothing equivalent to that for uh, secularists, in my opinion. So um, I'm not a secular because I have a particular end game in mind. I'm a secularist because I don't believe uh, there's a God. Uh, but not believing there's a God does not constitute having some kind of goal. <laughs> so it's, it's a, we have to think about it a beat longer uh, than Christians because we don't, there is no answer to the question well what's your goal i don't know 
Um, I, I'm, you know, I, I, <laughs> I want to buy another gallon of milk when my milk runs out. Uh, that's my, you know, that does, that's not a very compelling goal, is it? Um, my goal is to uh, be governed by a system that's not uh, ruled by religious or other thought process that I, processes that I think are untrue. I mean, that's true, but that's not really a well-stated goal. I think um, Sam Harris does the best job at stating a secular goal. I want, uh, you know, I I want to flourish, and I want as many people to flourish at the highest degree possible. That that's my that's my goal. I'm a utopianist in that way. Um, so no, what you're saying is you're waiting you're waiting for the Vulcans to make first contact. No, screw the Vulcans. Um, <laughs> It's that you know who who would I rather have make first contact with? Not them. Um, I I know the um, the people. I can't remember their race now, but on Star Trek Enterprise, uh, the Doctor, uh, whatever his uh, race was, Denobulans. the Denobulans. Thank you. I would like to make first contact with the Denobulans. I think that we would have a much better chance <laughs> than. Uh, <laughs> Than with the Vulcans, but um, I thought you were yeah. a logical guy. Not really. <laughs> so, all right, man. fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I'll end it with that then. Good. I um, so I appreciate that. I I don't mind being grilled. Just so you know, the uh, write up I have actually has one more quote from you. Okay. So so as not to put it there behind your back, I just cut it for time in the podcast, but uh, it's where you kind of uh, went straying off topic with uh, this is a stunning argument called the absurdity of life without God. Uh, and you started talking about absolute meaning and purpose. And yeah. I was going to uh, flay you uh, and then roast you over the hot coals with that. Ouch. But we ran out of time. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, but I maybe, wish- maybe you will come back on the show before the season is over. Yeah, but, and, and you uh, know, we can talk not, about purpose. Okay, not only that, but I—I I, I mean, if you're going to rake me, you got to rake yourself because I think you just reflected in your chapter what I was saying in my chapter. <laughs> just, it just you and what you just said now about not having goals and stuff like that. I just think you kind of, kind of reflected that. So I would, I would leave that for the audience then to read both of our chapters and and see. Well, you know, in order to read both the chapters, they're going to have to procure a copy of the book. Uh, Skeptics and Seekers dot squarespace dot com. The very first tab of the top left, uh, it says uh, Surviving Corona. Click that, follow the instructions, and then read. Uh, Or if you can't bring yourself to do that, uh, just shoot me an email. Skepticsandseekers at gmail dot com. We'll make sure you get a copy of the book. And uh, stop by the comment section. Uh, and uh, let's talk about some of this stuff. David, come back. Let's talk about moral uh, morals and purpose and all that. Stuff. Morals and purpose. Yeah, all right, not well, we morals. can do that. I mean, meaning and purpose. Meaning and purpose. I don't care about morals. Yeah. What do I care about? <laughs> okay. um, well, well, yeah. we're we're discussing it on June thirteenth. So we got a debate coming up on a new moral argument for the existence of God. I'm excited for. So yeah. Well, is that because the old one sucks? Or maybe it's just a different take. Yeah, no, it's the old. I'm trying to get you to understand there's different perspectives. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? There, there are perspectives that work and perspectives that don't. In the old and Christianity does, right? <laughs> okay, all right. We'll just we'll let you we'll let you have that faith delusion for the moment. Um, look, always a pleasure to have you, and um, hopefully, once again, we'll have you again before the season is over. The season is over at the end of June. 
Oh, wow. Actually got most of the shows scheduled. But I don't care if I have to do two shows a week for the rest of the season. There are some shows that I want to get done, and so I would like to have you back for uh, so that we can dive in a little bit on uh, the rest of your chapter that we didn't talk about today. <laughs> so, yeah, all right. Sounds good. All right. Good enough. Hey, everybody. Uh, you uh, you got the word. Go in the comments. Let us know uh, what you liked and didn't like. And, um, David, where where can people find you? Proselytize or apostatize at YouTube, Facebook, at the Virginia Apologetics Union. That's the last, last word, folks. Peace.